Blog Talk Radio. Radio Inside Edition. Today is January 14th, 2017. I am your host, John Robb. I would like to thank you all for listening, however, wherever, and whenever you listen to the show. It's always great to have you a part of it. So first show of 2017, we took a little time off. We always kind of take off a little bit in December, kind of came back. Uh, we came back with uh, Crime and Science Radio last Saturday, and then we had Beyond the Cover with Jeff Ayers, and we had John Lasquois on. That was a great conversation. If you didn't check that out. Uh, last night was the Story Blender. He had Michael Corta on, and that was a very interesting conversation that Stephen had. And now today, your fourth show, Suspense Radio Inside Edition, here on the network is today. We're gonna supposed to be joined here early by uh, author Richard Goodwin, but I don't see he's on yet. Uh, we're going to also have Silas Zobel, and then we're going to end it with an hour. Um, of course, we could do two hour with these two guests, but... Uh, good friends John Land and Heather Graham are going to join us to talk about their latest book called The Rising, and this is a story that they say is, uh, comes from action, mystery, and endurance of young love, so it's going to be interesting to kind of see the concept behind uh, that collaboration between John and Heather, one that you might not think of when you think collaborations, uh, when you try to think of authors that would be good writing together, but when you have two great authors and you kind of put them together, even though they write two different things, you know you're going to probably get something that's fascinating out of both of their heads, and that's exactly what you have here in The Rising. Well, since uh, Richard here hasn't called in yet, what we'll do is we'll take some time to kind of talk about the end of 2016, going into 2017, what we've done with our website. We've kind of we've upgraded it. We've uh, opened it up. We've decided that we've kind of turned it into uh, more of an interactive site with fans and with authors, and, and there's a lot more stuff that we have going on. Uh, when you go to the site, you're, you're going to kind of, and we're building it as we go. I mean, we're continually adding different things and uh, different categories for you, to, for, you to, for you to find out, and we're filling these things up here. We're having you know, more articles. We're going to have a lot more book excerpts. We're going to do something a little bit different with the excerpts, too, something that I've never seen where an author, let's just say like Jeffrey Deaver, gives us uh, an excerpt to kind of run on the site. Well, so a lot of times you get the beginning. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you get a scene. Sometimes you get a, a scene uh, that has a lot of tension, uh, a lot of building to kind of show the characters in it. But what we're asking for is we're kind of asking for the author to set that scene, to give us a little bit, give us a paragraph, to kind of, uh, you know, when you see actors or musicians and they're on TV, they're being interviewed, and they're going to show a clip 
they kind of set it. They kind of set and say, this is kind of what you're going to see. This is kind of where you're at. So we're going to give the author a little bit uh, to kind of set what you're going to read and what you're going to get into. And then it might help you understand a little, oh, okay, this is what's going on. Um, kind of just another way to be able to connect. The other thing is, is that we're going to have more craft corner, more authors helping you write with different kinds of things. Uh, right now we have uh, three, and this, a lot of these things have been taken from the magazine because we get a lot of these different things uh, that, of course, we can always publish in the magazine, and we do, and we're bringing these things out, you know, because, you know, writing tips are timeless. You can still read, of course. It's not like Stephen King's book on writing, which came out, what, 10, 12 years ago maybe. It's not, you know, it's still very relevant today. David Morrell's book on writing and Stephen James' book on writing, you know, they're all very relevant. Writing is writing. So we're going to break these things out. I mean, right now we have Neely Tucker talking about creating believable journalists and mysteries and thrillers. We have uh, Joe Clifford talk about the journey, the importance of using your emotional events. Allison Leota writing a thriller based on your day job. So, you know, like I said, we're just building that up. Right now we also are putting in D.P. Lyle's Forensic Files. And for those who read the magazine and see D.P. Lyle is, of course, co-host of Crime and Science Radio here on the site. But he also is the man in the business for authors to go to to figure out certain questions that you want to run. Um, just like this, if uh, in, 19, in 1863, can an autopsy accurately determine the cause of death? Well, of course, he answers that, and he's written several books, Forensics for Dummies, and he has more forensics and uh, more forensics than me and, and different other books. But he'll answer questions like, can my female character cause her pregnancy to become stone baby by sheer will? Um, so we're going to be filling that out, of course. We're going to have many more interviews. Uh, we're going to have the review section is what's really, really expanding. I mean, it's blowing up with the review section that we have going on now. I mean, we're, we're posting upwards sometimes of 10 different reviews a day, and we're just staggering them out. Um, also, for those who read the magazine, you, you know that there was a section in there called Rules of Fiction with Anthony Franz. Uh, we are expanding that out. You're going to have that on the website. Many more short stories. You're going to see suspense publishing books. Of course, a lot of people maybe know, maybe they don't know. You know we have an arm called Suspense Publishing, and we publish many different authors. Joe Bedall, Paul Kemperkos, Gary Williams, Vicki Nerly, um, Sheila Lowe whose book right now, if you're listening, Written in Blood, is free on Amazon. You can get it for the next four days for free. Great way to get into the Her Claudia Rose series and more. So we're going to be having that. And then, of course, we have a section for Suspense Radio where you're going to be able to see the guests. You have the links to the shows. You'll have uh, extra links like Crime and Science Radio puts out that you can explore. So many, many different things, and it's being updated daily. You'll be able to find out many uh, you know, you're trying to make this more like a one-stop place. Of course, the magazines, there's past issues that are posted on there. And we go back as far, let me see, on our past issues. Um, the December one, of course, we always have free, and that will be in the past issue section. But you go back all the way to January 2014, all the way up now through December 2016. So two years' worth of magazines are out there. And you want to talk about packed full of information, again, we have over like 20-some pages of reviews, and it's not like reviews go away. Um, people are always finding out, 
you know, different authors and, and different different books. And, you know, you just go in the review section and just start perusing around and maybe you find a book that was four years old and you had no idea that about that author and you want to check it out. So that's what it's for. They don't always have to be brand new books that just came out. Um, because you know, I don't know every suspense thriller author. I don't know everything that everything Mary's right. So I got to, you know, look that up. Ugh, get my drink here. So we're doing a lot of that. I mean, we're trying to change things up. We're trying to make things better. We're trying to make things easier for you to find out more information and get more in touch with the authors that you love and the genres that you like to read. So. That's part of what we have going on here on the um, on the website. Now, of course, if you read the December magazine, which is our best of issue, then you'll know that our Crimson Scribe Award winner is none other than Greg Horitz for his book, Orphan X. Now, the Crimson Scribe Award, uh, give you a little background, is we give out the best of, and we have several categories seven, eight, nine, ten categories that we have, and we put, you know, four to five books except for the mystery, uh, except for the thriller category, which, of course, we have more of that in there. You have like eight or nine books that are listed as the best of in that category. So out of that, you might have 40, 45 books that we've listed as the best of for the year, but there's, the Crimson Scribe Award only goes to one. So only one author, one book, regardless of what category they're included in, gets that award. So we basically say this was the book of the year, and uh, past winners have been Tess Gerritsen, have been M.J. Rose, last year was Kelly Armstrong, Isaac Hayes. So this year, Greg Horowitz won for Orphan X, and if you haven't checked out Greg Horowitz's work, uh, I would really highly suggest you go look and see you know, what he has written, because uh, it's not always, you know, you don't always pick the most popular, you know, like Stephen King's or the Dean Koontz's or, you know, the Lee Childs and, and those kinds of authors to say, oh, well, they're the best. Most popular and most sold does not always mean best written, okay? Uh, I think that shows a lot, too, when you're looking at, let's say, you know, movies, uh, for instance, when you're looking at the Academy Awards. It's not the most popular box office movie that wins the award just because maybe more people went to go see it. It's the movie or the book that is just the most, cap I guess you want to say maybe the most captivating, maybe the, the best written, just, you know, the best story that, that, that gives you that entertainment because, you know, reading and, and books and whether you're watching football today or, you know, basketball game or anything that you're doing, it's all entertainment, and it's a form of you want to be entertained. And is the author giving you that entertainment value? Is, is it making you go want to turn from page 120 to 121 to 122 and, and keeping you engaged? Is it the same way while you're watching a movie? Is it like, oh, you know, do I want to watch it for another five minutes? Is it going to get any better? And you've invested time and you've invested money, and, and so you keep going on, and, and that's what you do. And same thing with music and, and anything else. You, you, you give, you, you invest your time and your effort. And so Greg is one of those authors that might not be on everybody's radar. Not everybody, people be like, Greg Horowitz, who, who's that? I mean, why did he win? So you need to go check it out. 
and check out his writing. And I highly suggest that you know you can start with Orphan X, which I believe was the first in a new series. And and there's an author to discover. But you know we had several several different authors that were uh, new and different in the book, and some that you know people were no idea about. Uh, you know, had no idea maybe who they were. Of course, you know, there's a lot of the bigger names are in there too. Um, you know, we have our cozy section uh, this year with a couple authors that I didn't even know about and fans had picked and, and said, you know, these are the ones that, you know, we like to see and, and they made the cut. Um, like The Curious Charms of Arthur Pepper by Fandra Patrick, uh, not a name that I was familiar with. And, of course, we have the debut section. You know, these are the ones you can look back maybe in five years and say, uh, I remember when Brad Taylor first came out uh, and he was writing, and now all of a sudden now he's majorly big. But, you know, he first came out, I mean, he was just trying to get his foothold in, into, this, into this business, and he uh, was not very well known for, for writing. And all of a sudden, boom, now he's out there everywhere. So authors like Barbara Nicholas and her book Blood on the Tracks or – one of my wife's favorites of the year. I mean, it was even up for Book of the Year. Isaac Hayes was a debut author with I Am Pilgrim a couple of years ago. But Joe Ide with IQ uh, is getting raves reviews. And he was actually on the shortlist to maybe make Crimson Scribe. Uh, Greg Horwitz has said that was one of the best books he read all year. And he was in there. So make sure you know Joe Ide, IQ is, is a fabulous book. Never know what you're going to see more from him. And then, uh, of course, you know, Romantic Suspense, another category. Uh, Erica Spindler was back. Uh, Christine uh, Feehan was back, and she wrote us an article for the magazine. Uh, you know, she's very well known. But you know, authors: Cap Martin, Into the Whirlwind, Nora Roberts with The Obsession. So, you know, those were the four books that hit that category. Horror is always one that it's interesting, and, and this time, you know, John Connolly with A Time of Torment makes the list. John's a good friend, and he, uh, uh, it was it was really good to see him uh, come back with with this book. Uh, Sheila English with her um, uh, with her books of Adam Frankenstein and collection of short stories. The one book of the year that probably would, would scare the hell out of you was called The Hatching by Ezekiel Boone. Uh, we kind of say it's what Jaws did to the waters, what it's what spiders will do to you, and he definitely is. Um, his tagline for the book, this was funny, because when we, we asked him questions and we said, one of the questions was, Hollywood pitches are often brief, so how would you pitch your book in ten words or less? He said, Jurassic Park meets The Walking Dead, but with spiders. So, he's <laughs> a great guy, and a great book, um, check that out. Dark Urban Fantasy was our other category. Uh, another category here we had, Charlene Harris makes the list with Night Shift. You know, she's no longer doing the True Blood Stucky Sackhouse, and she's outside now into her new series. Um, Jonathan Mayberry, uh, great author, uh, was also in that category. Anne Rice, for her latest, Prince Lestat in the Realms of Atlantis, back with, uh, with another Vampire Chronicles, which was good to see. The indie category, this was always the one that's always on the fringe. It's ones that some people stay, you know, some people don't quite understand. I mean, these are smaller presses, more... Um, like I said, a little more out on the fringe, a little a little bit different. And so these are a lot of the authors that you probably have not heard of, like uh, Paulette Marin and The Seven-Year Dress, 
and Charles, um, a wild, frightened Deadwood, you know, authors like that that make the um, the indie list and and ones that are, you know, like I said, smaller presses. You know, not the Penguins or the Random Houses. You know, these are the ones uh, like our books, Suspense Publishing. You know, we're a smaller press, so you know, you would see those types of things. And and it's getting much bigger and it's getting much better. I think it's a it's still a very exciting time, even though it's super super competitive right now to just get sales and just get eyes to try to get people to read your book because there's so much out there to read. It just gets worth more and more and more and more every day. Um, the historical category this year featured um, David Morrell finishing up his uh, uh, Thomas De Quincey series with Ruler of the Night. If you haven't read that series, you can go back Murder as a Fine Art and then jump into um, – his uh, second book, Inspector of the Dead, and then Ruler of the Night, put those three together, and you have a fantastic three-book series by David Morrell. But then again, pretty much anything David touches is uh, pretty much gold. Another very, very highly successful author, maybe not known quite as known here in the U.S., but in Europe, he is a superstar, and that's Jeffrey Archer with uh, This Was a Man. And like I said, Jeffrey is a superstar in Europe. Might not be as well-known over here in the United States, and I think that that's sad. But make sure you check out Jeffrey Archer. Graham Moore, Last Days of Night, uh, was also a historical. Laurie King made the list. Um, then we have our anthologies. I mean, you've got books in there of Jack the Ripper and Modern Horde. You've got Sherlock Holmes stuff in there. Uh, True Crime, another category that's kind of small. You know, when you go to the bookstore, you don't see a lot of, you know, true crime. It's kind of one of those overlooked things. But, um, one of our favorite friends here, Greg Olson and Rebecca Morris did a killing in Amish country. Greg is great for his true crime research and his books. Of course, along with Ann rule who does a lot of great writing, but then you have, you know, you have John F. Kennedy stuff in here. Um, you have other just great possessed by Catherine Casey. So there's a lot of wonderful, uh, you know, true crime books also to check out young adult massive category, getting a lot of people in it. Um, Christina Ho, girl on the brink, Sarah Jude, the May Queen murders, uh, just to name a few there suspense thriller, Vincent Zandri makes the list again. When shadows come, Vincent's one of those, you know, Vincent's one of these authors that's very highly successful, sells a lot of books, but you know, you don't really hear him, like in the Lee Childs or in the Steve Barry realms and in those, you know, kind of mega realms. But, I mean, he just is just pumping them. And, you know, we made the list a couple of years ago, I believe, with Moonlight, um, oh, Moonlight Kills, I believe is the name of the book. And that also won the Thriller Fest Book Award. You know, Andrew Peterson with Right to Kill, another highly successful author that's just not like that name that you would think of. You know, D.P. Lyle makes a list with Deep Six. It was a, that, was, that was like his funny, uh, he had a lot of comedic stuff in there. And D.P.'s a great writer. Jeffrey Deaver with The Steel Kiss. Still feel bad about the cover, but the book is fabulous. I mean, that was one that I read and reviewed back, way back in the beginning of the year. When I read it, I even wrote in the review that this was going to be one of the best books of 2016, and I was right, because it was a fascinating take with um, uh, the latest Lincoln Rhymes book. Uh, Ruth Ware, the woman in Cabin Eight, uh, Cabin Ten, uh, playing off of the you know the girl on the train and um, those books that uh, had that were really popular, Gone Girl in the last couple of years, uh, with the highly successful you know female 
um, protagonist and, and putting them in situations and and getting them out without having to have that male you know influence we talked about that i guess with you know with karen slaughter a lot too when you start to see more female characters being not the damsel in distress but being the ones that are getting the people out of the trouble and putting them saying you know what they're just not the damsel in distress and and then somebody has to save them they're the ones taking the power into their own hands so you're seeing a lot of that louise penny a great reckoning mark greeny with backblast um let's see blake crouch dark matter we have blake interviewed and talked with him and of course who we're going to talk to later john land on strong cold dead with his uh caitlin strong series you know he he made the list a couple years ago with another one and then he's back here with strong cold dead and and that uh the obsidian chamber preston and child uh great authors of course with uh with their Pendergrass novels, and, and so they made the list also. But, again, Greg Horowitz with Orphan X, the book of the year, um, also available, which uh, is coming out in three days by Greg, is called The Nowhere Man, and that is uh, the sequel to um, Orphan X. So you can get both books right now, check them out, and make sure you check out um, you know Greg. So... That's just part of what now 2017 always comes with the questions of you know has publishing going to change and how are things going to change and uh, I don't know how much things are going to change I know that 2016 you know as far as changing I didn't see a lot of changing I just saw a lot of people doing the same uh, the same things and, uh, and not really much evolution. Of, of the change of the publishing industry. I know it's getting more difficult, like I said, for more eyes and more people to get people to buy books, uh, to buy your books, because, you know, Amazon's got, you know, there's probably 10,000 going up today, you know, people writing books. And like I've talked about a hundred times before, the biggest thing you have to try to check out is if you're not sure – because a lot of times what readers, I think, are finding out is why is it important to have an agent and have a publisher instead of, hey, why can't I just publish this myself because the work is great? Well, that would be like saying those people who get voted off American Idol very early on because they can't sing going, well, why don't I just make, I'll just make my own music video. I'll just make my own music and I'll just put it on iTunes and people will buy it. Well, the problem is is that Every author, I don't care if you're Stephen King and I don't care if you're, you know, John Doe, whoever you are, your work needs to be edited. It needs to be worked through. You're going to miss things. You're going to misspell. You're going to, you know, put wrong dates. You're going to have different timelines. You're going to have threads that don't make sense, that you're going to have things that don't connect. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to have those things. But by you going back through and trying to read, you might try to understand, oh, well, this is what I meant because you're the author you know. But, um, you know, like my wife always does when she reads manuscripts, and she does, she always sits there and goes, if I have to have you explain it, then I didn't get it. And that's a very powerful thing by saying, you know what, if you got to explain it to me, then I didn't get it. You didn't do a good job of, of putting it in the book, which means I'm lost. I don't get it. So what I'm going to keep reading, I, I don't know if I'm going to keep getting it. And, and so, therefore, I'm kind of checked out, you know. And those are the things that editors catch and publishers catch and make those books a lot more tighter. So when you're looking and you see these titles and you're like, oh, this looks like a great title and, you know, I've, 
uh, you know, reading the synopsis and it looks really good, and then start reading and just just to check out who the publisher is. And you know what? It takes two seconds. Type in the publisher name and see if it's self-published first. See if the author is, you know, committed to his craft by having a good website, and you can kind of see the editing. You can kind of see how he has his stuff professionalized to understand what you're going to get yourself involved in. So that's for 2017, I would say, that's what the reader has to do the homework on. You know, it might only be 99 cents or $1.99, and you might just go ahead and do it without doing, without thinking about it because it's, you know, not a lot of money. Um, but that's a lot of money to some people, and some people don't want to spend, you know, $2 and be wrong. You know, they want to spend $2 because they need to be right. So if you take that extra little step and you just check the author out first, Check out their site, if they even have a site. If they don't have a site, I suggest probably, you know, maybe moving on. You know, they should probably have something that shows what they're doing because, uh, again, this is writing, and it's writing business, and it's professionalism, and they need to kind of want to have that professionalism in there. And so if they don't, then that should give you a chance to pause. Now, if they do, good, move forward, move on, check out who the publisher is too because um, if they self-publish it, you're not going to maybe get this editing. You're not going to maybe get that, that, that crispness that comes with a book that's been vetted through. And so, I, again, I would say buyer beware on stuff like that because you just don't know what's coming uh, down the pike when, when, when you throw your money out there. Some books, though, that um you know I want to talk to you about here real quickly too um that we had in the magazine as far as you know advertisement goes and and people you know advertise in the magazine to talk about you know to have their books in there, so let's give them some proper paying of the bills here um and the first one is award winning author Suzanne Chasen's powerful new novel is called No Witness but the Moon. And Lee Child calls it a tremendous talent. And a publisher's Mark Place BuzzBook 2016 selection. It's from Kensington, of course, who sponsors the shows here uh, on Suspense Radio, kensingtonbooks.com and suzannechazen.com, C-H-A-Z-I-N. The book is called No Witness But the Moon. The cap line here is one, two, two seconds. That's all the time a police officer has to make a decision one, two, a lot can happen in two, sec two seconds. An object can fall 64 feet. A bullet can travel a mile. An indecisive cop can be a dead one. So there's a lot of stuff going on here. And again, um, Susanna Chazen, no witness but the moon. Check that out, kensingtonbooks.com, suzannechazen.com, C-H-A-Z-I-N. Also, Murder on the Mullet Express, a fun little book here by Gwen Mayo and Sarah Glenn. And this was um, Agatha, uh, Katrina McPherson, and Agatha Anthony, a left-winning uh, author of the Edgar-nominated book, The Child Garden. It's an action-packed crime caper set during the Florida land boom as bootleggers, mobsters, and grifters galore feed on the dreams of sun-seekers. Teddy and Cornelia, with nigh unshakable after their World War I tours of nursing duty, are at full stretch as it's wrangling their eccentric Uncle Percy when a murder hijacks their trip and throws them in the deep end 
truly original, tremendous fun with a big heart. Make that two big hearts. Again, that's Murder on the Mullet Express. It's a fun book, Gwen Mayo and Sarah Glenn. Um, also, check out Brenda Novak and her Every Occasional Cookbook. Brenda takes all these proceeds and puts them to her um, Brenda Novak for the Cure.org. Uh, she does some great work there in fighting diabetes, and she always has something that's going on. So make sure you check out Brenda Novak's Every Occasional Cookbook, along with um, All I Want for Christmas. So it's another thing that she has going on. That's Brenda Novak for the Cure.org. Great, great, great organization. Check out what she has going on. We're going to take a short break, and hopefully we'll be joined here with Zyla Zola. I think everybody's kind of having a little um, New Year's, <laughs> I don't want to say, you know, uh, what, New Year's uh Lack of brain power, maybe, but we'll have to see. Hopefully, Stylus will be on um, here shortly. But if not, we'll just have to do another half hour, wait for John and Heather to come on. So in the meantime, 2017, but we still love this song.
I just realized that I was uh, blank there for like three minutes because I was muted. Uh, so I apologize for that. But it, we're back. And um, like I was talking about, okay, so I'm kind of at a loss here now that my uh, first two guests have not come on. So I apologize for being uh, muted for that time. I'll try to cut that episode out uh, before this goes back out. But what I was trying to say, okay, so in the magazine we've had uh, this author on for quite some time, Anthony Franzi, and his, his last book last year was called The Advocate's Daughter. He's moving forward this year with his next book, which is called The Outsider, and that book will be out uh, March 21st. And so Anthony decided way about mm, – Probably about three years ago, I believe, we started having his rules of fiction where he was talking with many, many authors about, you know, writing and, you know, proving the craft, improving your writing, improving uh, just everything about it because there are some rules that have to go along, you know, with fiction and that have to go along with what uh, and how you write a book and how you write a good book. And what... Anthony did here is that he started putting these into an article form, and we have these put in the magazine. We're going to start putting these on the website. And one of the first ones that, in his, the ones that we posted, the first were his five rules in his, ode were in his own words. And the first one was an ode to Elmore Leonard. Then he has what's called the iceberg rule, no head hopping. Um, don't write your way into a scene, and then writing is rewriting. And we're going to have a lot more of these coming out on the site with the Craft Corner, with rules by Anthony, with different things. So um, prospective authors, fans wanting to know the inside information, you're going to get all of these things. You're going to get uh, these kinds of things now that are online that we're going to start having. And it's, like I said, it's going to be a building process. You know, We're always looking for new ways. If you are an author and you want to have the site – help you, you know, we're always looking for content. So you can always email us at editor at suspensemagazine.com for things that you maybe you want to contribute for questions or anything, whatever you want to do. You can always just email and, and ask. And uh, like I said, when we open this up for more interviews, for more excerpts, for more things, we want to get more authors to more people that um, you might not know. You know, it's not just a platform for to to hear about the really big guys and the really big girls, the Lisa Gardeners, you know, those type of people. And Lisa's going to be on the show here uh, in two weeks. And so it's to find those those diamonds in the rough, those – the reason why you listen to – you know, like I said, like you listen to Spotify and you're like listening to Bon Jovi, but you go, well, who's this band? And you start listening to them and go, wow, well, they're really good. Someone you would have never uh, – found out otherwise and that's kind of the hope of what we're doing here now again I wasn't really planning on talking this long so I really didn't have anything prepared Um, I will say this is that in 2017 I think 2016 was the year of well it was a year of a lot of things but the one thing I didn't quite Besides the ending, I think, of the year, I wasn't quite impressed with the movies. 
I guess you want to say, either. Hopefully 2017 will be a better year for that. Um, you know, I thought Rogue One was very good. Uh, I thought that there was a couple other movies that in there, you know, that were good. But overall, the spectrum, I was not really, um, you know, and I was not really happy with the selection. Uh, I'm typing it now. I'm trying to see maybe like what's coming up in 2017 to like, you know, be excited about. Um, well, let's see. The first one is like Fifty Shades Darker. Yeah, I'm not excited about that. I'm just excited about w- what that does. Um, but eh, not too big on those types of, um, you know, not really big on that types of movie. <laughs> uh, what else is here? Let's see. We have hmm, other big movies coming out in 2017. It was tough to, boy, when you want to find something right away, it's very difficult to just find something right away. <laughs> the internet has so much. So, it looks like here in January. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that Patriots Day movie. E- email me and let me know what you think of that. I'm not. I don't know about that. Uh, just curious. Um, my wife really wants to go see Hidden Figures. I might go see that one. Oh, I know what it is. Um, I'm excited for March. Beauty and the Beast. I think that that action life is going to be good. And then we have a new King Kong movie called Kong Skull Island. It looks like it's a different play on uh, King Kong. Power Rangers. You know what? You might laugh, but that actually looks interesting. Uh, how they did that. And I think that's going to be pretty cool. Uh, April, what do they have going on here? They got the Smurfs. You can't go wrong with the Smurfs. The Fate of the Furious, another Fast and Furious movie. I think the franchise is kind of done myself. Um, Sometimes they just keep going just for the money. Uh, That's about all. Born in China in April. Uh, Not that one either. They looked that up. Oh, but here's uh, May, when they start when the big ones start coming out now, because you got Pirates of the Caribbean, another Pirates movie. I don't know, after the last couple, I guess again, just a money grab. Uh, Alien the Covenant, not really sure. Sure about how that one's going to run. Um, it looks like it's, oh, it's a prequel, tr- it's a prequel, prequel trilogy that began with Prometheus, and it connects directly to the 1979 movie. So we're doing prequels. Gardens of the Galaxy 2, King Arthur, a King Arthur movie coming out here. Um, we'll see if uh, the one that the last one that they did took a different stance on what King Arthur was. So we'll see how that one works, uh, how that one works out. Then we have, let's see, June, Transformers, another mummy movie. Uh, this is a different than Brendan Fraser, so watch out for that. Wonder Woman, uh, Despicable Me 3, well, they're always funny. Cars 3, eh. um, Amityville The Awakening, Ugh, another house that's run its course. They should just demolish it. Uh, but Wonder Woman should be interesting. The Mummy might be interesting. Transformers, depending if you're into that. Uh, then you got July. You got the new Spider-Man movie. If you're people who watch the movie Civil War knows that Spider-Man is um, makes an appearance, and so this is not Tobey Maguire. This is not Andrew Garfield. It's another one. Uh, I've heard it was based more off of the Ultimate Spider-Man comic books, so it's a little different. A little bit different. I mean, it's still Spider-Man, but it's just a little different in that realm. Um, another Planet of the Apes, War for the Planet of the Apes, and then in August. 
Right now they have showing um, Annabelle 2 coming out. So I don't know. I don't know if there's a lot here to get excited for. There's a couple ones that are that are pretty cool. Oh, I forgot Triple uh, X comes out here in January. And then I saw that movie, The Bye Bye Man, I, or, or the pre the trailer for that. I don't really think I'm into that one. I mean, I like horror stuff, but I don't think about that one. Um, oh, there's a funny one in February, the, the Batman movie, the Lego movie. <laughs> this looks funny. You know, whether or not you're a Batman fan or not. I mean, that just looks like this. This looks like a funny movie. So, yeah, I'm not sure what 2017 is going to hold for that. I know that there's a lot of books on the horizon, and of course, every that that's the one good thing about um, you know every year your favorite three, four, five, six, seven authors pretty much have a new book coming out every year, and they pretty much have it around the same month that they always, you know, tend to. Um, uh, publishing like you know like lisa gardner always you know she always publishes in january and like steve barry seems to always publish in april you know tasha alexander we always talk to her in october uh, authors like that that i just kind of know off the top of my head that always have like that month so you can kind of always you know get excited for something every month uh one of your authors is, is going to have something out and then in the meantime you can span out and find somebody else that you can kind of put on your list so you have a got a lot of things going up. I mean, 2017, hopefully here, I guess you know, should be uh, a more move ahead than 2016 was. I mean, 2016 seemed to just be a lot of uh, despair, a lot of you know, a lot of people just uh, there was just a there was just a lot going on. I'm not going to get any political views or anything like that, but there was. There's a lot of uncertainty, I guess, going on now, uh, coming up here in, what, six days um, from the time that this comes out. Uh, we're going to have a new president, and there's a lot of uncertainty about what's going to happen with that. Um, I think it's going to be a fascinating book to see what's going to go on. Um, I Hopefully, there will not be any more violence. Hopefully, there will be calmness. Um but I don't know. I mean, it's it, it, I don't know what's going to happen. But there's a lot of uncertainty in 2017. I think that this is just the year, and especially the first quarter of it. Um, we're going to find out a lot about maybe how you know these next four years are going to run under a new president and how things are going to go. And who knows? It could tweet something and change his mind the next day. You just never know. But uh, aside from that. You know, 2017 is, uh, again, we're, we're looking at changing our stuff, and there should be a lot of things that um, that, that should be interesting uh, happening and, and going on. So we'll just have to see. I think we're all, you know, again, we're all in this together. We are all, um, we are all just trying to figure out where the hell to go and what the hell to do. I think that's what it kind of boils down to. And regardless of, you know, this is book radio, but this is, you know, and this is entertainment. So, again, I'm not going to get too involved in any kind of political or any kind of rant or any kind of rant. I'll leave that for the other people who like to do that stuff. Uh, I think that in our business, it's going to be exciting. I think it's going to be a 
step above. I see writing getting better. I see authors expanding on how they're doing. I see stories growing. Um, I mean, how you see TV growing uh, every day. I mean, there's there's new shows. There's new, um, uh, you know, there's new stations. I mean, Netflix and Amazon and all these Hulu. I mean, they're all uh, your head spinning from all the new things that you can watch. I mean, it's almost being too saturated. There is one show. It brings me in. I'm going to jump off point a little because there is one show that we started watching, and I just was really I was really hopeful in it, and it was Emerald City. I was really really hopeful, and then I started watching it, and we got through the first episode, and my wife and I kind of looked at each other, going, "What do we just watch?" Because they took a very very cool simple concept of girl in Kansas with her dog gets caught up in a tornado, makes it to a magical land and has to get back and meets these wonderful characters and you have, you know, the wicked witch of the west and different things. And then they turn it into something that was so complicated and so almost hard to follow. I think some of these shows are trying to say, you know, Game of Thrones did it, so I'm going to try to do it. And that's having so many storylines and so many characters to try to follow that even Game of Thrones, if you, if I would love somebody to break this down because I watched Game of Thrones for like the first two, three years and then I got out because it was, I would watch an episode and let's say I was watching the Arya girl, the, the girl, and all of a sudden, you know, she's doing something and, you know, she has her 10 minutes in, in the show and all of a sudden the rest of the show, you don't see her anymore. And then the next episode, you might catch another five minutes of her. And then the next episode, she might not be in it. And then on the next episode, and I was like, for these storylines, there are like 20 of them going on. <laughs> How much screen time do they actually get? Because it seems like every episode has its main focus of this is what we're going to focus this time on. You know, the dragon, I don't even remember everybody's name anymore, so forgive me. You know, we're going to focus on the dragon lady. And this episode is going to be, you know, 30 minutes of the Dragon Lady, but then we're going to throw in four other plot lines, but they're going to get like five minutes each. And they make it really interesting, and then they just move on, and there was just so much going on. It's like, and it kind of worked. I mean, it's a popular show, but I just wondered, how much airtime does one of these storylines get? Because... Again, you're watching it, and all of a sudden they go off, and then you're like, "Well, what's going on with the with, with the little boy? What's what's going on with the girl? And you know, what's going on with with this person or this person? Because I haven't seen him in an episode. And then they'll bring him back, and then all of a sudden it'll be like this episode. Oh, they're going to focus on them, and then they kind of move off of them, and then you're it, it jumped around a little too much for me, and then it just started to get too much. And then I was like, you know, I just couldn't keep track of all this and all these names and all these things. So I said, I'm out. I like it more straightforward, more, you know, moving forward. But these these episodes seem to do a lot of sideways movement. It's like they just, they, they go up to the point and they just start moving sideways and sideways and sideways. And then they finally progress and they go sideways and sideways. And I'm just like, oh, you know, trying to make this drawn out epic kind of thing. And I think that Game of Thrones only has two seasons left before they're done. Um, you know, and that's kind of a, which always fascinated me too, because you're building this show with a massive amount of history, 
which means there's a lot of things that happened previous to when it started. And, of course, there's always going to be a future. The world's not going to end. So why not just keep it going? You know, why can't you just keep stories going and keep things going? Because it's not like you're going to come to an ending. I mean, it was kind of like the Sopranos. I mean, they eventually just ended it by just turning the screen black, and then you had to decide for yourself, did Tony live? Did he die? Was there people that came in there with, you know, you had no idea. They were leaving it kind of up to your own interpretation. But the point is, is that they were like, this right now, we're ending it from right here, which means you kind of like, well, there's no future. There's like nothing going on because there's been nothing after it. And then, um, of course, James Galdafini, you know, passed away. So, I mean, there's not going to be, if they do it, it's going to be with somebody else. And that'll piss everybody off because, you know, they associate that face with that name instead of the character itself. Um, which, I know, I, I mean, maybe I'm weird in this aspect too, but, you know, I know Carrie Fisher passed away, but if they were to find somebody who kind of looked like her and, you know, to Princess Leia to fill that role, that's fine with me. Um, you know, I don't need to have, I don't need to have Carrie Fisher specifically play that role of Leia. Um, I think that it would work if they found another actress to play that role, if, they wanted to do something in episode nine that she was going to be in. You know, now fans are going to be a backlash because they're going to put Carrie Fisher with Princess Leia. But I think that, uh, you know, what if she decided, you know, what, I don't want to do it. I, I'm out. I mean, and then they said, okay, well, they're just going to replace you. I mean, would you be that outraged or would you not? Um, so I think that the character is bigger than the actors portraying the character, and so therefore I have no problem if they wanted to go to another route and have somebody else. Yeah, it would be weird to see somebody's face, but that doesn't mean that, you know, the character is still not great. I mean, how they CGI Tarkin in the whole Rogue One movie, and they CGI'd, um, you know, some other people into that thing, so you can do it. But trying to get back to where I was at, it's just like, you know, uh, books can do the same thing. And sometimes books get a little confusing when they try to put too many things into the pot and try to stir it up and make this stew. But what you kind of get is you kind of start going and eating it, and you're like, there's so much going on here that I can't pick out anything that's really good. It's just kind of, eh, it's just kind of a dish with a lot of stuff in it. And that's kind of what I saw with that show, Emerald City. That's kind of what I see with some of these other shows there's like so much they're throwing in this pot. And again, books are try books sometimes do the same thing is they put all these things and they throw all these things kind of in this pot. And it sometimes just you know what? It just doesn't work sometimes doing it that way, I think. Um I think that Less is more, and I think that just, you know, just have great story, great characters, but you don't need to have 87 characters. I think you can run it with a lot less than that. So um, the other thing, let's just talk about here too real quick before, hopefully, God, I hope, John and Heather make it on the show. Uh, again, I texted John. I hated, he didn't text me back, though. I did a half hour ago, so I'm like, oh, my Lord. He better get his cell phone. Um, is uh, Richard uh, Zadranek, and 
his books here, Last Words, Drop Dead Punk, Black Sale, uh, they're all Coleridge Taylor mystery books. And Library Journal uh, had said that, you know, Taylor, while out to get the story and get back to the crime beat as complex as a good heart verdict, fans of the late Barbara D'Amato and Bruce De Silva will relish this gritty and powerful crime novel. And that was uh, about Black Sale. So check out Richard uh, Zaradnik and go to camelpress.com and you can find more information about his books. Um, also, what we have here is uh, Sarah Driscoll and the Lone Wolf. Exciting, says RT Book Reviews, heart-stopping crimes, unique detectives, riveting reads. And they're also the same people with, and this is published by Kensington, who we talked about, Greg Olson, who put out his latest book called Just Try to Stop Me. Olson will scare you and you'll love it, says Lee Child. And the New York, uh, New York Times bestselling author of terrifyingly new thriller pits sheriff detective Kendall Stark and Native American pathologist Bertie Waterman against a killer whose dark desire knows no limit. So that should be interesting. So let's take a really short break here, and we'll be back with our last hour of the show. And take a listen to this.
here after the break again I want to thank you all for listening to me rant for an hour um, and that's great so we are back here with half of the guests that are on the show and you know the other one just showed he just called in right at one o'clock so we're able to bring one but Heather we want to thank you for coming on the show too and we're going to let John sit for about 20 seconds let him think you didn't call in quite on time so you have to kind of sit and wait and listen to us talk a second before I bring you on <laughs> But I'm just joking. John, how are you doing? I'm doing great, John. It's great to be back on the show. Yeah, and Heather's here with you, so that's good, too. Yes, I Absolutely. only have to be half as brilliant as normal. <laughs> oh. Oh, well, speaking of... I shall just sit here and listen to you all both be brilliant part <laughs> of the time. Well, you know... Like I, I, when I opened the show about an hour ago, I kind of said that you guys were coming on to talk about your latest book, The Rising, and the collaboration that you guys had together. And I was like, this is probably a collaboration that a lot of people probably never saw coming. You know, you never really saw you two kind of come together because of how the stories that you guys write outside of now this book, The Rising. So you got to give us the behind the scenes first of how did this collaboration kind of come together into this marriage that we now have. I, I still think, and I could be wrong because it's so funny. We actually began quite a while ago now, and I'm not even sure. We're both, um, and I don't even know how I want to becoming involved because my, my main house is and was, and, and I love them dearly, is uh, Mira. So I absolutely adore the people at Tor Forge, too. And that's kind of how it came about for me is I wound up on a trip that one of our editors, a very brilliant man named Robert Gleason, had arranged. And he's insanely crazy about NASA and our space program. So um, we wound up getting to visit Goddard Space Center for several days. Um, and then again, like I said, there's there's a publisher, and I know John will agree with this, at, at our company called Tom Doherty, who's truly one of just the finest, most wonderful human beings you'll ever meet. And I've always loved his books. I know this is weird. You don't usually love books by the publisher, but if you are an author, you look up the publisher. And years and years and years and years ago, I fell in love with something called Lion of Ireland, and I knew that Tom had published it uh, by an author named Morgan Llewellyn. And so I was very, you know, very happy to get to know them. And it was during a lunch, um, where John and I were with Bob and I think Tom too, and we were talking about the whole thing. And the next thing we knew, I'm pretty sure, John will have to correct me on this, we were kind of throwing out things to each other and knew we wanted to do something together and kind of where we were going with it by the time we were done with lunch. That is <laughs> actually, that's 100% accurate. And there's even another caveat and another thing, mention Tom Doherty. And I know a lot of writers and, and people interested in the in industry listen to the show. And Tom Doherty is an old-fashioned publisher in the sense that he actually loves books. And he has control of his own company. It's a very rare thing in today's publishing industry where there's a guy at the top of this company that actually still runs things. That's the way St. Martin's does business um, at all their imprints. But Tom had, been, had run into Heather at a dinner. This is about five or six years ago in July. We were both in New York for Thriller Fest, the great Thriller Writers Conference. And Tom knew that Heather and I had been looking for a way to work together. And he said, let's go to lunch. Let's figure this out. So it was really driven 
by Tom knowing something that we wanted to do and knowing that there was not at that point we weren't sure about the NASA thing that's what was the was the catalyst for us because Heather said it best I'm with I'm published by Forge Tor Tor Forge and Heather's t- published by Mira it's very difficult to meant to 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 blend together with non-compete clauses and contractual obligations. So the idea of NASA, John, and this is key, was it allowed us, with a NASA tie-in, it allowed us to go outside the box for both of us. We went to a story, although I wouldn't classify it necessarily as young adult, more new adult, because the heroes are teenagers, but the story is adult. So it allowed us to go outside the box to do something in a number of ways that neither of us had ever done before. So it wasn't really infringing on what I had done for Forge before or what Heather does for Mira. Um, It was an entirely different departure. And the thing that has really impressed me, and this is something I haven't said yet because I didn't know it was even true, um, I only found out recently, is the degree to which Mira is supporting the book. Now, Forge, Tor, you would expect to support the book. They're publishing sure. it. But Mira right. supports the book because it's their author. And what's good for Heather is good for her line, is good for her audience, is good for a publisher. So here you have two mega giants. Mira is part of HarperCollins now, I think, isn't it, Heather? Yeah. Um, and Correct. and yeah. Forge is part of Macmillan. So you have these two publishing giants, two of the big five the, the, the basically the industry, two of the big five in the industry, who have put all that petty stuff aside and said, isn't this a great thing? Let's support it in any way we can. And, and we're, I'm just so gratified by that, that everyone is supporting the rising because I think they see it for what it is and they see it for the potential that it has. And yeah, I, I, think too, I, mean, you know, I think we work for wonderful people. Um, I, for mm-hmm. one, I think we're very lucky in our editorial, so in our publishing, in our publicity, I, I just think we're um, – well, I mean, I, I thank God every day <laughs> that I do this for a living. And it's almost – I'm so grateful that every once in a while I feel like I'm afraid I'm going to get caught. Uh-huh. I, I don't really I don't really deserve to be here or get to be here. But, uh, yeah, no, it's real. They also, I'm going to throw in more words, if you don't mind, John, real quick. It's also kind of – because it's a nut first for me. I have never written an intrigue for the Harlequin Mirror group of four. And so my first intrigue comes out the same day. And it is called Law and Disorder, and of course is under Heather Graham, too, as well. Right. And now, and now just to let everybody know, those, that comes out on January the 17th, both The Rising and then, of course, your book, Law and Disorder, come out January 17th. Yep. So if you're listening to the show <laughs> yes. live now, you only got to wait three days. If you listen to the show in three days, go get the damn book because it's January 17th, so you have no reason to worry about it. Um, so now that we kind of got a little bit of background, let's kind of get into the story on its own because, like you said, it's a book that has teenagers in it, but it's more of a new adult and not really a young adult. Uh, that's not really a, something that I've heard kind of put that way before. So give us the insight into the book and, and what it's really about. The Rising is really about uh, it's about two high school seniors, uh, a, you know, a high school a football star who's an all American, um, going to go play Division One, uh, but he isn't the brightest bulb in the circuit. For Brown, is he going to play for Brown? Uh, I hope so. Uh, we could. Uh, it would be really nice. Uh, then he joined my fraternity. 
Um, and we'd yeah. be all set. But are you uh, kidding Alex, me? He's smart. He's going to play for you in Miami and come down south. He's probably going to play for Nick Saban in Alabama. The way, the, but, you know, yeah, the, so he's I guess he either wants an education or he wants to play football. you got to pick or he one wants both. Oh. If he wants both, he'll come to Brown and play for Phil Edson. <laughs> but that's all right. So, you know, uh, but, but Alex is this football star. He's being tutored by this brilliant and very, very attractive uh, classmate who has, who's had a crush on him forever. Um, and basically, Alex it has a secret, but he doesn't even know the secret. And he gets injured in a football game. He has a CAT scan, and everything takes off from there. Because what we're going to realize is that Alex is actually an alien. He, you know, we're going to. This isn't a spoiler. It's on the front. It's on the inside sure. flap of the book. Um, he's an alien, and he and Samantha become the only two people who can stop a catastrophic invasion from happening, from Earth civilization being destroyed. And the problem is Alex harbors the secret, something that can stop the invasion or make sure we can win, but he doesn't know what the secret is. So you've got a quest, you've got a mystery, you've got an action story, because essentially, you know, we, Heather and I are, are joined in common by the fact that we both write thrillers. A thriller is a thriller, whether it be romantic suspense, sus- action, um, you know, anything. So this is a sci-fi thriller. So we're mm-hmm. stretching in terms of our subgenre, but it's still basically a thriller. The difference is, as we've been talking, having young characters as the catalyst around everything else. And, and that was a blast. I don't know how Heather feels about that. We were, it was the first time each of us had written young characters, but I had a blast because you get into your characters' heads, and we've never actually talked about this. I'd be interested to hear Heather's take on this. You get into your characters' heads as authors, and a young, right. a, 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 an adolescent head is a much different place than the head I'm in when I'm writing Caitlin Strong or I'm writing Blaine McCracken. It's an entirely different experience because you get to feel what they're feeling, which is totally different than what an adult feels. Too for me, um, because I do have five children, so I got to watch about the adolescents. Um, and, and something else that we're doing too is when we say the aliens and the war is coming and everything. Something important to me is we have good aliens, and then we have aliens who are really seeking power and to take over. And I think you know, I mean, you can almost compare aliens to different things that we've seen throughout history. Um, so, I mean, the word alien can be taken in so many different ways. Uh, but afterwards, yeah. you have many who are very good and supportive and want to make things, you know, go well. They're, they're on the winning team. Of course, you don't know who is who as you, you know, as you move through the book. But it's also, it's funny, I think, as a parent of boys and girls, um, I think it's fun to get into both heads because I do know from both of them that, you know, you can, boys can be as devastated as girls. Uh, girls can have uh, plans for life that are, you know, every bit as ambitious as, you know, can be had by uh, young men. So, I mean, it's kind of, there are definite, I think, stereotypes that both sexes have been given that I've also, you know, gotten to watch how people are. And a lot of the stereotypes just aren't real at all. Um, And then there are some things that do happen at school that still happen at school that you kind of go behind 
between. I kind of see I kind of see Alex as Sam as a reverse on the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean, our 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 young man is is the one who you know everybody just wants to be and is in love with and this and that, and our our, our young lady is the one who's very kind of watching that that group from afar until things start going, and yet she's the one who's solid and smart and actually willing to. Uh, really, at the beginning, of course, you know they've been tutor and they've been friends, but they're not particularly close. So, uh, but she gets the opportunity to prove uh, the depths of friendship. You know, John, um, Heather says something. I've never. This is the first time I'm about to. I'm going to say what I'm about to say about this particular book, and and the genre. Okay. The great thing about sci-fi is when you start looking at the great sci-fi stories of all time, from Invasion of the Body Snatchers to War of the Worlds. To to you know to the to any number of you know, some of the Philip K. Dick stuff, a lot of it are metaphors for something that's happening in society at the time. It presents a vision, and I think that what, what when Heather said there are good aliens and there are bad aliens, one of the great things we did in this book is we made the whole idea of the xenophobia that's going on now with, 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 with building walls and Muslim registries and things that I find especially reprehensible from a human standpoint, not just a political standpoint. When you look at this book, we reverse the paradigm. Alex Chin is our hero, a blonde-haired, blue-eyed high school homecoming king who was adopted and raised by Chinese parents. Normally, Americans adopt Chinese babies over a million a year. Um, and um, as opposed to Alex, who's the opposite of that, and the prejudice that he en- and the racism that he encounters because his parents are Chinese um, is such a nice metaphor. Robert Heinlein, who, we've, who, believe it or not, I have to tell you, this book has been compared in reviews to two, and really, you know, you want to pat yourself on the back because you never know what people are going to say, but it's been compared sure. to Stranger in a Strange Land by Booklist, and it's been compared oh. by Library Journal to Stranger Things. Um, and those are two icons of pop culture. More so to me, Stranger in a Strange Land, with which I think there are a lot of parallels to uh, the rising with, with the work of Robert Heinlein anyway. But that, too, was a metaphor. So what we, what Heather and I were able to do here, was stretch a little bit our own styles, because the genre afforded us a luxury of doing some things we'd never done before. Now I'm going to ask both of you this question, but I want to start with Heather first, because now Heather, you've collaborated before with other authors and, and you've written books before, but this is the first time I can remember that you've written with someone who writes in kind of John style, which is the action, you know, thriller that he does with his Caitlin Strong books, so it's a little bit different. So when you were collaborating and, and you sat down and you guys were talking and Johnny, you kind of know his strengths, how were you then saying, okay, this is how we should kind of use maybe how John writes to with myself and build this thing together? What were you thinking in your mind before word one hit the page? Actually, I have done, previously have done a short story with Paul Wilson. I have never done a book with anyone else before. So this was the oh. first time. Yeah, no, first okay. time oh, I've ever okay. actually done I, a book. I, know, I, know, I thought, because I know that you and, like, Alexandra Sokoloff and you guys had written, oh, I thought you guys had collaborated before. Done, and then yeah, and, and, and I thought I loved working. 
But they were actually, those are actually, the ones that I did with Alex and actually Harley Jane Kozak, Beth Ciotta, and I think right. Deb LeBlanc was in on those, um, absolutely had a wonderful time. But we didn't actually write together. What we did is on those, we had a Bible. It was like a collaboration. Of, with, um, right. Okay. Yeah, they were called the Keeper Series, and each person had a right. keeper, but they knew where they lived. They knew all that type of stuff. Um, right. This is the first time I've actually, I did this story with Paul, which is great. I love Paul. Very, very easy to do a short story with him um, and wonderful and fun. And, um, you know, it's, it's a funny thing when I think about it because it's true. There are many, many differences uh, in, in John and I, which I, I guess makes it good, too, because yeah. – we might have been, you know, just at the right place, alike enough and different enough or whatever. And then I think that we're both, um, I don't know. I, th- I think we're, we're both to, both of us are able to say, gee, my way did suck. Yours is better. <laughs> so uh-huh. the hardest part was saying, I really, I really think I could, could come up with something better here. I think that was the hardest for both of us, but we got over it. And then as soon as you got over that, um, I, I don't think we sat there and consciously thought about who was stronger at this or that. I think it was a matter of discussing the story and kicking it back and forth. It, you know, he would write so much, I would write so much. Um, I would write so much, he would write so much. And then we would both go over what each other had done and made sure that it would fit. And then every once in a while you'd get something back from somebody who was like, oh, my God, you did this. That means we could do this. So it was kind uh, of um, – yeah. it was uh, a good collaboration. And, and I think, honestly, this – sounds funny, but I, I guess um, hmm. no, I'm not going to say it because it does sound funny. Never mind. I think we're just probably both able to um, like I've never I'll, I'll put it this way. I've never in my life thought that I had a golden word. When I turn something in and an editor you know, calls me up and they have a problem with something I'm really happy to look at it. Cause, I don't mean unless you know you're, <laughs> most of the time, unless somebody's being ridiculously nitpicky, but most of the time editors aren't. You know, they have something good to say, something that's going to lead you to a better place. So I think we're both able to work like that and, and makes it possible to have a good, you know, dual collaboration. Especially since we're, you know, this was always envisioned, uh, we hoped it, we always hoped it would be a series. And the right. idea that we were starting from scratch and we were doing everything differently, kind of like if we sat down and said, well, let's do a book that is totally different in every conceivable way than anything we've ever done before. But you know what? Even if we had said that, which we didn't, ultimately this book became about the, to me, this is a book that it's at its emotional core is about the relationship between these two high school students. It's about Alex and it's about Samantha and what is more than just this first book, how their relationship is going to grow as the book goes on. Because we talk about Alex a lot. He loses his family in the middle, in the early, very early in this book. He loses the, the only people he has in his life he loves. All he has to rely on is Samantha. And what we don't give her enough credit for in interviews like this is the fact that when she goes on the run with him, she is putting her, her entire life in jeopardy, her future in jeopardy, you know, her, her, everything she's worked her entire life for. She is really willing to set aside out of loyalty, friendship, and ultimately love. So I think as we I – mean, that's not something we ever consciously talked about, but that's the direction in which the book naturally gravitated. And 
it's a book about this relationship. In addition to special effects and alien worlds and wormholes and all the stuff that are the classic staples of sci-fi, you have this wonderful relationship. And it's not the first time in science fiction that there has been a, a classic relationship um, that endures because that's the nature of the genre, that you have a small number of people who are all that can save humanity from something. The difference in our book, and this is a crucial distinction, John, we timed, we, we wrote this book, you know, we discussed books like Twilight, and we discussed books like Hunger Games and Divergent and Mortal, you know, the Mortal Instruments series, the um, Maze Runner series. Here's the difference. All those books are dystopian. They're dark visions of a world post-apocalypse. Correct. Our book is about two young heroes trying to prevent that apocalypse, pri- trying to prevent dystopia from ever happening. So it doesn't have that feel of been there, done that, oh, another bleak, uh, it's like Blade Runner for, you know, Blade Runner for teenagers. It's not, that's not what this book is. It's to prevent Blade Runner, that kind of world, from ever happening. And I think that's a crucial distinction. But I think, too, that, I mean, even the distinctions or whatever aside, I, I, in, the, in my mind, I don't care what you're writing, what you're doing. If you don't care, I mean, even when it's hardcore, fast-paced action, if you can't involve yourself somehow, if you can't care about a character, um, become involved with a character, even hate a character, don't have a, a feeling for them, you don't care what happens to them. You know, it just, it just doesn't matter. Um, I know, you know, I know many authors have different fields of thought on, you know, plot, character, uh, place, sure. all kinds of different things. But to me, uh, it's essential that you have characters that people will become involved with. I mean, even if you, even if you love to hate them or even think about characters that we know and love as actors, like everybody wants to write a really good piece for Sean Bean where he doesn't have to die, you know? I mean, <laughs> yeah. you can't help it, you wind yeah. up, yeah. So, but I mean, that's kind of a mix of literature and life. But anyway, uh, it's, it's our, Sam and Alex to me are, are just both incredibly important, as are the people around them and aliens around so, them. Uh, and the, so, so when you look at Sam and Alex, and you look at these are the two, the, these are the ones that that you guys decided that were going to be the stars of the book. How was the conception of them drawn up from that blank canvas when you guys were like, okay, this is the story we kind of want to write. This is what it is now. Let's get these two characters together. And when you started putting them together emotionally, and how everything was going to kind of work. What was it like when you had that blank canvas in front of you and you said, let's, let's start working on these two people? How was that relationship between you two when you – did one of you maybe want to go, you know, like say, hey, let's kind of do this? One of you said, let's kind of do this, and you kind of met in the middle. How was the collaboration between that? Because I think a lot of people always wonder how this kind of works together when you – when this is, like I said, a marriage – when it's not like a Preston and child, somebody that's been doing it for so long, it's like, boom. How is that? I think that, I was going to say, when they were first conceived, I think we drew on our dinner napkins. Um, <laughs> right. it, literally. It, literally. Yeah, no, I mean, literally. Yeah, that's I think where we you were, find them all. Which is sad, because neither of us can draw. But anyway. Um, 
It's like Pictionary. I, I think we, like somebody, seriously, it was almost like Legos. You know, somebody came up with one block and then the next block and the next block and the next block. I'm pretty sure that's how we built them up. We knew, you know, you kind of, you knew you needed a yin and a yang. And so, you know, Alex became, um, he's, he's, he's never like, you know, sometimes your book is redemption like somebody was a total ass and, you know, they're going to straighten. Alex wasn't an ass. He was just in a place where you don't notice everything because you're busy being worshipped. Um, but he wasn't particularly nasty. He wasn't mean. He wasn't anything like that. He was, you know, a serious all-around hero, which is something which is I always find interesting is because it certainly went on when I was in high school and, and does still go on now, like sports figures. It happens in adult life. Sports figures are hero worship. So um, then we decided he was going to be a sports figure. I think he started soccer, but then we decided he was an American hero and he would be football. Isn't that right, John? Wouldn't we do something like that? I, I think that's exactly the case. And, you know, it's, it's, he, it's, it's John, this is a great question. Um, I hope I can do it justice by saying this. And that's when I write my Caitlin Strong books and when, when Heather writes her Crew Hunter books, there are, these are characters who have accepted the mantle of heroism. They're in it, and they don't consider themselves heroes by that term, but they have an obligation and a duty and a service that they're going to perform, which, which makes them heroes, and we've, we're accustomed to that. But it is a responsibility when you slap on the badge of a Texas Ranger, you are accepting the kind of things that are going to happen to Caitlin Strong. In the case of Samantha and, and of Sam and Alex, they didn't come looking for any of this. They're not wearing right. a badge. It's They're not them. carrying a gun. This all, yep. and I, I think what I'm getting at is this is a book that is much more driven by incident and circumstance and how characters respond to that and how one character, in the case of Alex, finds out that this was always his destiny, that this was always going to happen because he was brought here 18 years ago by the, quote, resistance. Um, you know, and they're good, and they need him to be safe because he has a secret that is the only thing that can save this world and the world of the resistance by defeating the really bad people. So he didn't ask for this. Caitlin Strong would have said, sign me up. I'll take care of these aliens. You know, just give me enough bullets. That's not Alex. Now, how he and Sam grow into that role is going to be a blast to find out as we move on to the future books in the series. Um, and, just like we weren't sure what those building blocks were when we before we started the rising, we're not a hundred percent sure of what those building blocks are going forward. That's the fun of the series. That's the fun of the uh, of the relationship between Sam and Alex. Where is it going to go? You know, when is it going to become? You know, how long did it take in Twilight? I think it was the third book or the third movie or the third something before she gave up her life and became a vampire so they could have a child and all that kind of stuff, you know, uh, you know, who, who knows how long it's going to take uh, to reach a comparable area. Well, there won't be any vampires, though. Um, at least I don't think so. Aliens. Um, so, <laughs> there, there you go. A- aliens. You never know. Another thing. So that, I hope that answered the question because that's an entirely yeah. different experience writing a book like this. You know, and the one thing from listening to both you, because, John, we talked a little before, Heather, the, the, first, the first time we've actually talked about the book, but, John, we've talked before, and the enthusiasm that, John, you had when talking about this book almost seemed like, you know what, 
for both of you to kind of step outside of your world after writing for so long in your world, it's like this was kind of a refreshing, like, it kind of made it like, hey, you know, this is like something new. This is a new challenge. This is something refreshing that we haven't done. Let's see if we can pull this off. Were you worried at all at the beginning, like, <laughs> can we actually freaking do it? And, you know, how was that kind of, or were you even thinking about that? Like, let's not think about that. Let's just write it and see what happens. Or were you kind of worried? Were each of you maybe thinking of your fans like, you know, Heather, oh, I don't know if my fans are going to get into this, or John, I don't know if my fans are going to get into this, so we might want to put a little bit of tie that people will know that it's us writing it? Or did that even cross your mind? I, I think in, in my situation, um, I still to this day, I mean, I did, did an alien story for Jonathan Mayberry and the truth is out there. Um, I've gotten to do Cthulhu. Um, I, I've gotten to do a lot of different things with the short stories, but I mean, not only that, I've, I started off in contemporary. I've done uh, historical romance. I've done suspense, historical suspense, romantic suspense, paranormal suspense. <laughs> I mean, I've done a lot of different things yeah. over the years. Yeah. And, um, Sometimes, you know, I'll still get letters from people who are like, oh, my God, I wish you'd write historicals again. And it's like, well, you know, at the moment, I'm not really contract to them. So I give you ghosts. They're historic ghosts, right. but, um, which uh-huh. will please some people and not others. So, um, no, you're not always going to please everybody. Um, you hope you do. You hope that you write a story that if somebody doesn't like paranormal or doesn't like aliens or doesn't like this or that, that the story will be strong enough that maybe they'll read it and enjoy it anyway. You know, you always hope that. But um, can you, you know, it's that old thing you know, that your mom teaches you. You cannot please everybody every time. All you can do is your best. Right. And I, in my case, I, I emailed all 23 of my fans personally to tell them that there would be yeah. something different coming, and, and then they shouldn't uh, they shouldn't be concerned. But but here here's the way I came at it, and I know there was never a doubt because I never will forget what my first and the late great Tony Mendez, my first agent, said to me, um, and and she was in her 80s when she said me, when she told me this said when I, when I was looking to do something a little different, a different kind of book, she said if you know the characters, you can write anything. And I think from the first lunch we had with Tom Doherty, Heather and I knew these people. We knew Alex and Sam, and we had started to get to know some of the other minor characters, some of the other not as major characters in the book. But since we had an appreciation and an understanding of who Alex and Sam were from the beginning, there was never a doubt that we were going to be able to do this uh, just because these people became ingrained in our consciousness. They became part of us right from that initial lunch to the point where it was, you know, especially for me, the Samantha character, you know, I think there's a little more depth to her. I think Alex gains depth as the story goes on. I think he's portrayed very realistically in the sense that if you've ever been around as as I've been a lot of kids like this, they're really nice kids and but there's not they're 18 years old. There's not a lot of yeah. conversation you're going to have with them. But as this book goes on, his world Well, view, Alex is per, more layered. That's why. Alex has yeah. more layers to him. I think he does and I don't but I think he's yeah. starting to explore those layers. I think he's starting right. to become forced to explore those layers. In other words, that he might never explored before if he was able to go on with his life as it was uh, if he was able to continue the course that his life was on. But in thrillers in the rising, you, he can't do that, and he has to deal with what he has. 
Okay, I'm going to stick up for Sam here. <laughs> she, I, I, th- I think Sam is um, Sam is just an amazing young lady because she, she's her little crush on Alex has always been secret. She just yes. goes ahead and does the work that she yeah. needs to do, and her crush is not something that blinds her or guides her life. It's just something that's there. She knows what she wants. She wants to be a scientist, and she she loves the space program. She loves everything to do with it. And and that's what's um, guiding her. I, I think she's one of these young ladies who just happens to be very, very bright in school. Um, she can be a little bit socially awkward, but she knows it. And she's also kind of a bit ahead of herself in that she knows that, hey, high school is going to be over. Then we move on with life. And I think she's one of those people who's very well aware of that and can have a very, you know, good conversation with people. She's also extremely kind-hearted. She doesn't want to so step true. on people or hurt them in her way. She wants to make a straight line and not be a doormat, but in the same token, you know, maintain all of her humanity. You know, there's a wonderful, and I, and I know we're a little short on time, but there's a wonderful moment early in the book. hour, ma'am. Oh, we do? I thought we were early on for, we're on for the full hour? No, you're on for the hour, baby. Remember, oh, we're like, yeah, we need an hour. <laughs> Oh, I thought we were. I thought we only. I thought I we can't. Were I can't well. limit you guys to thirty minutes. Are you oh, kidding I'm me? There's so no glad. way but, I was going to limit us to thirty but minutes. I, I, and this is a pat on the back for Heather. The, the 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 relationship that she that we introduce Sam, Samantha with is how Samantha deals with what uh, we call the Cat Pack, and that's actually the real name of the cheer squad at the school where we set. Uh, where the book opens, the, the, the Ignatius, St. Ignatius Prep, which is in the San Francisco Bay Area, where Alex is playing a, a, a football game in the opening scene. Well, Car- she, Sam has been very friendly with Kara's, with Alex's girlfriend, Kara. I feel like we're talking about real people here. They're real people to us. And the opening scene works so well, not only because the, the conflict of the football game is – in direct proportion to the fact that in um, uh, Kara, this cheerleader, you know, Alex's girlfriend, has stolen a test, an AP bio test that she needs the answers for. So she gives the test to uh, Samantha, and Samantha is going to says, you've got to answer the questions for us. The cat pack needs the answers. And it's this thing where does she cheat for her, quote, friends, who really don't want anything to do with her. And it's this wonderful high school moment as Sam is watching the game from the stands with the, with her backpack and this thing tucked it. You know, she thinks that maybe I should just throw it out. Maybe I should pretend that I've lost it. And that kind of little high school dilemma is then followed up. And I, again, this was Heather in the hospital. Well, when Alex is in the emergency room because he's been concussed, he might be paralyzed. We have this dramatic moment. Kara and Sam are there together, and Kara is texting away and confesses to Sam that she's going to break up with Alex to date a high school, a, a college boyfriend who might be able to get her a job with the Golden State Warriors, dancing. So it's this moment where Alex, Sam is being asked to keep a secret for a friend, but being told that the boy she has a crush on is about to become available, and it, that I think is the very definition in this story anyway, of romantic suspense. That's the kind of thing, when people say what, what I could never have done on my own in, in this book, that's the kind of scene that I've never been very good at, that because we were working together, what that did, 
how it moves Alex's character forward in his relationship with Sam and how it moves Sam's character forward and how she stands up somewhat to Kara and the Cat Pack. Um, and the reason they're called the Cat Pack is because the St. Ignatius Prep are the Wildcats. So the cheer squad is called the, the Cat Pack. And that's real, by the way. Um, that, that's a real school. and That's a real thing, the Cat Pack. I also think, too, that, um, I mean, part of what goes on there is that, like, later on in the story, when Alex is thinking about Kara, Sam is put into a position where, like, you know, does she tell him that, you know, Kara wants to do this, just take off with some other guy and that she was going to leave him anyway? He doesn't need to feel too guilty about her? Um, or does she not? You know, it puts her it puts her into many... Uh, even in the middle of things blowing up and aliens coming, you're going to have some of these moral dilemmas like, do I say this? Do I not say this? You know, I, what do I do here? It, yeah, in science fiction, attention. yeah. And in science yeah. fiction, John, it's the one genre um, where you where cliches are are not just welcome; they're encouraged, because in Correct. science fiction, cliches form normalcy. They form a backdrop, and this is true of all great science fiction, as, because so many great sci-fi stories have been set in small towns that are full of cliches. Go back to all the way to Steve McQueen and The Blob. I mean, go back to yeah. – you, you name the science fiction uh, story, and, and you can see all the cliches that are present in it. Kara is a cliché. The Cat Pack is a cliché. Alex is somewhat of a cliché. But what you have is a cliché as a comfort zone because you're about to deconstruct everything. You're about to throw a monkey wrench the size of Wisconsin into the works because aliens are coming. Alex is going to get concussed. He's going to get a CAT scan. And from that CAT scan, everything hits the fan because now he's going to realize that his entire homecoming king, perfect American life, has been a lie. That he's an alien, right. and he's been protected by this wonderful, loving Chinese family who end up sacrificing their lives because of the love of their son. And when I say that, you know, you're, you can start thinking of Stranger in a Strange Land, and you can start thinking of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. You can start thinking of iRobot. You can start thinking of Dune. The, the, these are the classic science fiction paradigms from which the rising comes. And, you know, it's, it's, it, isn't a, it isn't a genre-based piece because there's so much more than sci-fi in it, but it relies on those sci-fi benchmarks to define its structure. And i got to tell you, it... You know, I, I think it works because to, get, to go back to what Heather was saying, these characters work. And we have some adult characters who are fantastic, too. Um, you know, and, and the nature of it's why we love movies like Terminator and Aliens, because they present us with an alternative reality. And yet one where heroes can stop something really bad from happening. It's why time travel in science fiction has remained a staple forever because it's the ultimate fantasy to be able to go back and fix what went wrong um here it's not that it's but it's something like that in the sense that alex was sent to earth was brought to earth by this resistance movement all those years ago to prepare for the moment that's coming you know so it's it really is a a story uh, uh it's kind of a simple story at its heart 
that's told on a very, very broad, ambitious canvas. When I say that, I mean the, the action scenes are, are very, very big. Um, you know, the, the, you're going to get that. We were talking about, you know, the importance of what Heather brings to this. Um, right from the start, she must have told me, Heather, was it 100 times? You write the action scenes. You deal with the science. Uh, I don't want to uh, – that's not what I do. So, you know, and we ended up doing it together. She did a lot more of it than she thought she would. But um, well, I don't mind action scenes. I do, I do mind technology. That's <laughs> <laughs> much better. That is much, much better, way better. Yeah. And, and, and also, also like you know San Francisco way better, too. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah, well, you do. You know the, thing you about, the West Coast better and, than I do. And the thing about science fiction is that, like you were talking about, it's a struggle to regain normalcy. Because when you're reading a, a serial killer book or a book of that nature, the world itself is normal. It's just it's that true. part of it at that particular time that you know, you're trying to capture that killer, you're trying to capture what that was. But when you're reading a sci-fi book, it's the world itself that's out of whack. And so it's the struggle to regain the normalcy of that to bring it back together, which is, which is what makes science fiction much different, of course, even though – the stories themselves are you still have a protagonist, you still have an antagonist, but it's on a much different level than just the cop going after the bad guy. And that's and, true. And what, but, what, we did, what we did, John, was we avoided – I mentioned cliches. There are no giant spaceships hovering over Earth. There's, this is not Independence Day. This isn't, this isn't the kind of um, special Thank God effects. Independence Day too, because that was freaking horrible. So that's oh good. my God! Oh, why do these movies get made? <laughs> I was about to say. I was about to say. I sure wish I'd written the original Independence Day. Yeah, really, because the other one was terrible. <laughs> oh my well, God! Well, what they did to Bill Paxton was just wrong. <laughs> just yeah. wrong. Man. Oh well. Yep. I think um, I think something else is important in this, though. I'm sorry, I didn't kind of got lost where we were, but. Um, both of our protagonists wind up being the strong one at different times. Oh, such a good um, point. Right. Yeah, they, they have their points up. when. Yes, exactly. So you, you know, you don't. It's um, it's it's not a buddy sidekick. Um, it's it's they they both have to take the lead at different times, um, because of course, how do you help someone who's you just witnessed both of their parents, uh, you know, horribly killed. And they, of course, know this. And so how do you pick up a friend in a situation like that? You know, it's a... It's a it's and a, finding out he's an alien, too. It's like, so you've had to find all this out at one time. And he's, you know, the struggle of having to deal with that, I mean, that puts a lot on Samantha uh, along with Alex right at the beginning. They yeah. kind of have to sift all those things out. But the one thing that I also want to touch on, too, because both of you have mentioned this, is that... We've talked a lot about Alex and Sam, but I want each of you to kind of pick out a secondary character, one that you kind of fell in love with, that you would like to see, you know, maybe have a bigger role, and fans may see have a bigger role moving forward with the series. So, Heather, I'll start with you. Which one of those characters, you know, those secondary ones, did you just, like, fall in love with that you were kind of surprised with? Well, mine's not going any farther because she's dead. <laughs> so. <laughs> And I don't think we're. I don't. I, I don't think we're going to go into the realm spirit. of ghosts. You know, you, even though she'll, you die, well, you she still can be move along in memory because yeah. your actions. Yeah. Yeah, because your actions had that. So who was it? I, I absolutely love Alex's mom and dad, but the 
the mom, you know, she found him under, under, she just, she was one of those people who was torn, conflicted. Do I do this? Do I do that? What, you know, there was, there was a million answers here, but whatever. Da, 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 da. And it's kind of like, like, she winds up doing the right thing. And I, I think she's just like, a, I, I just love her uh, for this. And because I think that she's also, I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, obviously so many things are, are metaphors um, in our country. Um, and, and I think because I, I look, I can look at it especially because neither of my parents were American. My father was Scottish. My mother was Irish. And, um, and I remember because my mom's family came over here during the 1940s, I believe. And in school, high school, they showed my daughter, China, uh, the movie, The Gangs of New York. And she came home and she was just absolutely livid about what had been done to her people hmm. like how did they do that to her people and it's kind of like well china actually your people <laughs> were here at the time <laughs> it was kind of done to a lot of other people but i mean but it is our american way i mean throughout our history we have been hardest on the newcomers um and so in a way the aliens are the newcomers and in a way they're an enemy and in a way they're a friend but i think that uh, mrs chen um, I don't know. I think she personifies the best of what we look for when we want to live the American dream because she's one of those human beings you just want and it wouldn't matter what her color, nationality, shape, religion, anything happened to be. She wants to do the right thing. So, John, same question. You know, I, I think that sci-fi, the structure of science fiction owes itself almost verbatim to Joseph Campbell's The Power of Myth, in which he talks about the, 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 you know, the loner hero and the nature of heroism and that all heroes sacrifice. I really like the Rafe character. Rafe is a guardian of Alex who for 18 years has done nothing but watch him for the day that ultimately happens. He sacrificed everything he had in his former world to come here to be this and it's capital G because he's not the only guardian. He's just the only guardian that survived this purge of aliens by a fifth column Nazi like villain in the book, a human villain who's just, who's probably worse than all the alien villains. Um, so there's this guy, I, he's like Daryl in the walking dead. He's like the Ranger character oh, yeah. played by Vigo Mortensen in Lord, uh, in, in Lord of, in the whole uh, Lord of the original, the first three Lord of the Rings. He's Han Solo in Star Wars. He's the rogue. He's the guy who will protect the hero, who will, if, if this were a Western, he would be the, the gunfighter taking the family across the frontier. Uh, and he's the one responsible for Alex's safety. He's the character who knows more than Alex knows and can help set him on the road to understanding. So he's a mentor. He's a protector. He, he's many, many things. He's the Michael Bean character from Terminator in the sense that where he is, he can never go back. That's the sacrifice he has made. He is he, This has become his life. He lives alone. He works alone. He drives alone. Charlton Heston in, in The Omega Man, which was by far a better version of I Am Legend than the Will Smith movie was. You know, it's, it's amazing, by the way. You, some of these earlier movies that they've remade, like Planet of the Apes and like The Omega Man, these are sci-fi movies that were much better when they were made by people who understood the things that we're talking about today. 
They understood right. conventions. They understood standards and cliches and how to make use of them as opposed to losing everything in, in sometimes cheesy special effects and CGI, which is so clearly, you know, you, you, know, you have one, one monster, you don't like it, so you take it out and you put another monster in. Uh, you know, I, I guess I prefer you know the 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 older fashioned ones to me the the still the scare, the greatest sci-fi horror movie ever made in many respects is the giant ant movie them um you, you know the thing wow. was fantastic you know that it was, it, because it, it captured all these things and it was new and it was different and it didn't matter if the ants couldn't do anything cuz they didn't have any money they didn't have any special effects all they were big rubber things with men inside that's basically how they propelled the ants and they could never walk more than 3 feet because that's just, that was the extent of what the rubber could do. Um, so I really think that the Rafe character, he's also a comfort zone character for me in the sense that I've written him so often before, that kind of character before, that writing the loner hero, the gunman, the protector, the, 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 the person who, will say, who is cap- competent and capable of saving the day, is something that is, is a staple of my writing. So mm-hmm. it, he, writing Rafe was comfortable for me and yet defining his mission was entirely different um when he first saves alex and sam at about the halfway point of the book uh maybe a little further than that and he starts and starts to tell alex what's going on um you know he's got this he's got weapons you know he's got stuff that looks futuristic um so that would be my choice solomon kane reminds me a little bit of that i I like rafe too and he's and he gets to go forward Yes, he does. We'll see him in the next one. Yep. And so this is a, that's a good segue. Let's look forward because now we are running out of time, John. So let's look forward into the future <laughs> and kind of give everybody a little idea of what's coming up uh, with the series because you don't have an ending. It's not like, okay, this is going to be three books or four books or five books. It's going to go until the story goes. Oh, so yeah. What do you have? So what do you have? What, what does the future hold? Well, can I, okay, I'll touch a bit on that. And then I'll let John take it. We're going into something that, that's one of my favorite. Um, there will be a great deal of Egyptology that suddenly falls into our laps in the uh. next book. Uh, it's just, like, like I said, it's just, just an era of history that I absolutely love and find fascinating. And there are still so many questions. Um, I, I think it's I, – I've, I've loved that we're doing this. John. And for, for me – I think what's important, this, the, the thing about The Rising is it's, it's the fir, the, our first one, The Rising one, which is coming out on Tuesday, um, it's contained. It takes place entirely in Northern California within 40, 45 minutes of San Francisco either way. Um, there's Ames, the bio, the, the, where, where Sam, Samantha is an intern at the Ames Center for Astrobiology, a NASA place there. That becomes vital to the book at a new, in numerous occasions, by the way. Um, but it's a contained book. It's a confined book. It's a claustrophobic book in terms of time, in terms of uh, everything's happening so fast. So I, what we wanted to do when we got down to think about a second one is let it unfold over a longer period of time than 48 hours and, and make it more of, an, of a sprawl. Take our young heroes out of their comfort zone entirely, not just emotionally, but also physically. So instead of just leaving them home, quote, they're going to go – all over the world on this quest Um, because there's this, and just to jump off a little bit, this is really getting ahead of ourselves. There is a real life thing called the Voynich manuscript, 
which is on display, I think, at the London Museum of Science or one of the London museums. And it's, it, it's in a language that no one has ever been able to translate. And some people have theorized that it's an alien language. Others have said it's oh. a hoax. Now, in the course, at the beginning of Blood Moon, the second in the series, Alex will realize that he can read the language because it's his language from his, his planet. And Alex and Sam will go on a quest to, uh, to fulfill the mission that this, this book, this testament lays out of, an, of the next step in, in saving the world um, from, you know, you, from more challenges. And the fun thing in what Heather is alluding to about Egyptology is it allows us to look into history at things like the golem. Um, all these legends of history that you say, how did this start? And say, well, maybe it was real. And if it was real, what if this was the way it was? So right. we're going to have a blast with Blood Moon. I think it's going to be every bit the book and more that The Rising is. And i, I got to tell you, John, selfishly, I can't wait to see where the relationship between Alex and Sam goes in this book because right. I have no idea. <laughs> now, and, and since we are kind of coming up to the end, I also want to give each of you an idea. So outside of the book of The Rising and everything you have going on, Heather, you mentioned, of course, your book coming out on January 17th. But where, uh, what else do you have going on? What else do you have? And where's the best place for people to find all the information about what you have going on? So I'm going to kind of give that last word to you, and then, John, I'll come to you. Um, right now, well, I'm really excited, of course, because the rioting and law and disorder are both out on January 17th. And then I believe next up is something called A Perfect Obsession, which is part of what they're calling the New York Confidential Series or Finnegan's on Broadway. It's a follow-up to a book that came out last year called Flawless. And uh, this summer, there are three crew books coming out, Crew of Hunters, which is kind of the Supernatural Meets Criminal Minds series. And, of course, because you asked me, I just went dead blank. But all those titles are available on my Facebook page or uh, theoriginalheathergram.com. Um, and then after nice. that, I've actually got another – where John and I, of course, are working on this the series. Um, but I've got a stand-along coming out, with, uh, um, which I did with a, a young actor whom I met through my daughter and some of her friends in California. And I was actually trying to set him up with someone else when he – got a phone call about having hip surgery for his dog and I figured out I'm sorry I like this guy he's having hip surgery for his dog turned out to be a very very charming young man had an idea for a story he wanted to write and so we went together and wrote it and uh, it's with uh, uh, a young man named Chad Michael Murray and um, it will be coming out in November nice so John what about you I know Caitlin came out in October but what else you got going on wow I mean um I've got I've got another more of a horror story coming out in August called Dark Light, um, but I'm real excited. I got to tell you, I, I just finished yesterday. Yesterday, just finished the first draft of Strong to the Bone, Caitlin Strong, Ooh. number nine, and I am so excited. You know, I I, I you know it, it's it's the more I write and, and when you know. Pe- People out there listening are getting the idea that Heather and I are between us are probably writing twelve to fourteen books a year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. you, you know, I've got, yeah, well, well, there the are reprints out there too. <laughs> yeah, it, so, the, yeah. the funny, the funny thing is, the more the more I do it, you know, you get into a rhythm and you don't want to stop because it, it's kind of like running a marathon. As soon as you stop, you're dead. 
So I'm, I'm just keeping, you know, that, that strong to the bone. I wrote was one of the fastest books I ever wrote. It just, it, I, I just would, you know, ne- never lost momentum. Um, and I'm confident that's going to be the case with the, uh, with blood moon, the second rising book. So, um, you know, I think creatively I've, 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 I've hit a place that I've always, you know, it's kind of like the, a dream world. Um, and now my, you know, I have to, I have to get more email addresses. I got to get more than 23 fans. Um, but I'm yeah. working on that. <laughs> I think, you know, the, the, the rising is, is 30. Gonna, is gonna, 30. Well, I, I think, I, I think we're up to 30 now. Um, uh, you know, and you know, all those 30, they're always going to johnlandbooks.com and I have them go 30 times a day. So it looks like I'm getting a lot of more visits unique visitors i i somebody has to we have to do a show someday where somebody explains visitors unique visitors dedicated visitors click through it you know it's like uh you know i, I don't I, yeah. I, I don't understand what all these people are but um i like to go with the higher numbers of visitors you know? yeah we always go with the higher numbers absolutely well guys i want to thank you guys both for coming on it's been fascinating to hear about the book the rising and everything else the whole series alex samantha i mean it's such an in-depth, like we said, an onion book with so many different layers that are going to appeal. And it's going to be exciting to see, an onion book. like you said, Blue Moon going into the future. And, and everything with this series is just going to be exciting to see how it happens. Absolutely. Thank you. It's Blood Moon. We're Blood Moon, right? Blood, blood moon. moon. Blood Moon. I like Blue Moon. Did I say Blue Moon? I said Blue Moon. Blue Moon is good. Nothing... But we'll, yeah, it we'll is, save but... that title and keep it. <laughs> That's the third book. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there you go. almost made it. That's what you say. Whenever, <laughs> whenever everybody says, you know, yeah, when everybody says, hey, here's your top ten, and they're like, well, what about this book? I'm like, ah, oh, man, that was number 11. So Blue Moon almost made it. It was close. <laughs> so, hey. But, guys, again, thank you so much. I appreciate it. It has been absolutely fascinating. Uh, anytime you want to come on or anything else you got to talk about, you always know where to find us. So you guys have a good one and enjoy, and we'll see you guys later. Thank you very much, John. Thank you so much, John. Bye-bye. Enjoy. So, again, everybody, there you have it. That was authors John Land and Heather Graham talking about their latest book, The Rising, which, again, hits shelves on January the 17th. So if you're listening to the show now, you only got three days to wait. comes right after Martin Luther King Day on Tuesday. You can pre-order the book now, of course, by going on Amazon, and it will be uh, sent to you or you'll have it in your Kindle on that day. And... um, if you listen to the show, of course, after January 17th, go get the book because there's no reason for you not to. And, of course, always go to you know, johnlandbooks.com, the original heathergram.com, for more information on the things that they're writing outside of uh, The Rising. And you know, just two fascinating authors, two great friends. We're great to be able to speak with them and have you talk with them here. So thank you guys so much for listening. We will be back uh, in two weeks with our, next, uh, with our next show, highlighted by Lisa Gardner is going to be on that show So that's going to be another fascinating uh, conversation to talk about her latest book. So check out all of us. Just go to suspensemagazine.com. Everything's new and updated. You'll be able to see everything about the guests, radios, and everything else going on. So until next time, everybody, like we like to say, keep reading, enjoy, have a good one. We'll see you again.